We bid you welcome today to this hour of worship, especially if you are a visitor. We're glad to have you here, and we do hope that you'll be returning to visit with us on many future occasions. Um, next Sunday is a busy day with a service at 10 o'clock. We will not be having but one service next Sunday morning, and we want to remind you of that. But it will be at a different hour than both of our normal services are, are, are uh, occurring at. So it's, remember, next Sunday, you come at what time? Mm. 10 o'clock, right? Who said noon back here? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, we, we do look forward to that joint service followed by um, a meal together and hope that you will plan to be here for that. Uh, one of the things happening that day is also a Thanksgiving community service. We have a lot going on here in the life of the church, but if you're not involved already, you're invited to come down to First Baptist uh, on the, uh, that night at 6 p.m. next Sunday night, and I will be the uh, Thanksgiving speaker for the community service. Uh, Don Lewis, is Don here? Yes, Don has a word to make uh, to give to us about next Sunday also. That's what it was. Good morning. Uh, we're coming into a time now where we are challenged to increase our thankfulness. Our government gives us some days off. We have a holiday. We're going to try to celebrate uh, how much we have and how thankful we are for it. I had a really uh, enlightening opportunity to appreciate my thankfulness when I was uh, 13 years old. I was laying in a hospital bed uh, in traction, uh, broken pelvis, broken legs, and, and uh, had lost my two best friends in a horrible accident. And I was amazed at how thankful I was when I met little Timmy, who was four years old and had drank liquid plumber, and how much worse off he was than I was trying to heal up some broken bones. And I know that it's hard sometimes to appreciate how thankful we should be and what all we really do have. And one of the great things about this church is that it's engaged in some local outreach that allows us the opportunity to increase our thankfulness by exposing ourselves to some things that are real and right around us. There are two things going on next Sunday, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, that can help you increase your thankfulness. One of them is a Thanksgiving baskets distribution program that was started by a Sunday school class here as a result of a young man who grew up in a church in Youngstown, Ohio, uh, who delivered fruit baskets every Easter to needy families in that area and told his roommate about it in college, how impacted he was as a young man going out and delivering food with his dad and that roommate was me. I brought the idea down to our Sunday school class and through a series of good ideas from the Sunday school class, we started getting names from local teachers and guidance counselors of students whose families didn't have much and were not gonna be able to provide any kind of thanksgiving, much less food on some weekends, 
My daughter, Carrie, who grew up in this church, teaches school down at a, a, a ghetto school in, in Greenville and tells me about kids in her class who come in on Mondays and have not eaten since they went home from school on Friday, now, in this community. So you have an opportunity as a church to give one of two ways. One will increase your thankfulness a lot is consider coming out next Sunday at about 2.30 in the, in the Family Life Center and, and deliver a box. If you want to increase your thankfulness, go deliver a box to somebody who really needs it. Or if you can't do that or don't want to do that, another option is to buy a box for $26, donate it by marking your, pledge, or your envelope with uh, Thanksgiving baskets and we'll go buy the food and, and deliver it. The second thing that's going on next weekend is the fifth annual Merle State Hunger Walk. A man who sat in the third pew back where Craig and his family are sitting now for 43 years started the Greer Soup Kitchen. And that big heart of his that drove him to start that soup kitchen is now failing him and he's unable to even get here to the church to worship. This walk that we're doing next week is the primary fundraiser for the soup kitchen that feeds 170 people per day, every day, with volunteer labor and donated food, people who otherwise would not have the opportunity to eat. The walk is named after Merle because he worked tirelessly for 15 years over there to build it to what it is today. Unfortunately, the times are bad. The needs are higher than ever. The number of people is up 50%, and the giving to the soup kitchen is down 50%. It's a bad mix. The fundraiser next week is the main fundraiser for that walk, and I'm hoping that we as a congregation will make it something special this year because of Merle's failing health and because of the fact that it is the legacy of both he and Memorial United Methodist Church that we'll be participants in that walk in whatever way we can, either by donating to the soup kitchen through dailybreadministries.com or by donating through attending the walk, or at least the start of the walk, which happens right out here at 145 next week. I invite you to come. Last thing, if anybody has a business or a doctor's office or a place that they go that they would be willing to hang a sign, there's some out back. And when you leave the sanctuary, if you would just hang a sign, it would be very helpful to us. Thank you, Arthur. A reminder to members of our administrative board that there is a charged conference meeting um, to consider two items uh, right over here in the uh, Wesley Davenport uh, classroom, and that will be right after this service. Council on Ministries meets this afternoon at 4.30. The membership committee meets at 3.30. Uh, we invite these folks to remember uh, these important uh, uh, meetings. I also want to just tell you brief, briefly about our friend and former pastor, John Rush. Um, John is doing okay, but he passed out yesterday afternoon and went down very hard on the kitchen floor there at his house got a goose egg on his head and some bruises around and was in a lot of pain last night, but they did not keep him at the hospital. They're gonna follow up some tests this week to find out what caused him to black out like that. But John being John had this word to say to me last night. He said he was unconscious until he was being put on that gurney 
to be carried out of his house and he very quickly sat up to see if it was from EMS or Wood Mortuary. <laughs> so you know if he can say that, he's doing okay. So our thoughts and prayers are with him. Let us begin our time in worship together.
affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this you shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. This time I'd like to invite the children to come forward to join Mary Lee for a few moments of sharing. <clears throat> Good morning. Isn't this a beautiful group up here? Aren't they gorgeous? It is so nice to have y'all with me this morning. Um, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever tried to do something and it just didn't work out? You failed. It messed up. Maybe it was making a craft project or maybe it was learning how to do something at school, right? Sometimes, no matter how hard we try and how hard we work, it just doesn't turn out the way we thought it would, right? So that's happened to y'all? Do you think it ever happens to your mom and dad? Yeah, I see my little girls going, uh-huh, all the time. Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of the way I feel this morning. Because this past week, can you tell I have a cold? I feel really crummy. I can't <laughs> sing worth a hoot this morning. And see Miss Jessica right there? Doesn't she look sweet? Okay, well, don't let that fool you. Because for weeks, she has been trying to get us to learn this piece of choir practice. And it's really hard. And we have really struggled. And we're finally, we finally have it learned. And this morning, I can't sing. So I have worked and worked and worked to learn that piece of music. And now I can't sing it. Because when I sing, the sounds coming out of my mouth are not the sounds that are supposed to be coming out of my mouth. Okay? So when you hear that pretty music coming from up here, it's not me. <laughs> I'm just going to be moving my mouth and pretending to sing, okay? Okay. Well, I want to read something to you from the Bible. This is from First Chronicles. And it says, David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and brave. Get to work. Don't be afraid. Don't lose hope. The Lord God is my God. He is with you. He won't fail you. So there is one person in our life that never, ever fails. Isn't there? Who is that one person? Jesus and God, because that's one and the same, right? Okay. God will never, ever fail us. 
We fail all the time. Sometimes it's a big thing and sometimes it's a teeny tiny thing, but we're always doing things that don't turn out the way we wanted, right? But God never fails us. God can't fail, can he? Okay? And one of the hard things for us to remember is that sometimes we want something to turn out a certain way and we want it really, really badly. Well, God may have a different plan. And even if we ask God, please, God, let this work out the way I want it to, it may not work out the way we want it to. That doesn't mean God failed us. That means that his plan was not the same as our plan, right? Because he's not going to fail. So it will work out the way he wants it to work out. just may not work out the way we want it to work out, right? Okay? So this week... As you go through your week, when things happen that aren't the way you want it to happen, just remember that there is one person who's never going to fail you. He's never going to forget. You know how your mama sometimes forgets? Yeah. Okay, well, he never forgets. Ever. He will never fail you, okay? Okay, so let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for being so strong and so powerful that you cannot fail. Help us to put our faith in you and to remember that your will will be done. Amen. time we're privileged to share in the uh, baptism of Mallory Jacqueline Williams, daughter of Dana and Sherry Williams. We invite them to come forward here to join me and any other members of the family or friends who would like to stand with them are also invited to come at this time. Dearly beloved, baptism is an outward and visible sign of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which grace we become partakers of his righteousness and heirs of life eternal. Those receiving the sacrament are thereby marked as Christian disciples and initiated into the fellowship of Christ's holy church. Our Lord has expressly given to children a place among the people of God, which holy privilege must not be denied them. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Parents, do you in presenting...
this child for holy baptism, confess your own faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? If so, will you say, we do? Do you therefore accept as your bounden duty and privilege to live before this child a life that becomes the gospel, to exercise all godly care that she be brought up in the Christian faith, that she be taught the holy scriptures, and that she learn to give reverent attendance upon the private and public worship of God? If so, will you say, we do? Will you endeavor to keep this child under the ministry and guidance of the church until she, by the power of God, shall be confirmed as a full and responsible member of Christ's holy church? If so, will you say, we will? Mallory, since you're a little older than the average baby that I baptize, you've come to an age where you can begin to understand the meaning of baptism as an expression of God's love for you as expressed in Jesus Christ. So do you profess your faith in Jesus as your Savior and promise to follow him as your Lord? If so, will you say, I do? morning. For those of you who have been here for the last two Sundays, I promise you this will be the last time that you'll have to listen to me. As you know by now, we're in the midst of a, our 2010 stewardship campaign. Uh, it will end next week where Arthur has already told you we will have one service here in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock, followed by a catered meal in the Family Life Center. 
In order to get an accurate count for our caterer, I'm going to once again uh, ask the ushers to hand out reservation cards. Ushers. Um, if you filled one out last week, please do not fill another one out. If you've not filled one out, please do. Even if you're not coming, please fill out a card. Just indicate no on there if you're not coming. Uh, that way nobody will sit on your doorstep or call you, and it will help us a great deal. Now, while the ushers distribute the cards and before we hear from our lay speaker, let me take just a few minutes to say a very few words. First, uh, this week I got a newsletter that I get monthly from the uh, district superintendent of the Greenville District. And one of the articles in there indicated that through the end of October that the district had received only 59% of the apportionments uh, so far for the year. If you, if you do the math, then 10 months out of 12, that number should have been somewhere around 83%. So that means they're about 25% short thus far. Um, but on the other hand, here at Memorial, uh, the Finance Committee, we had our monthly meeting this morning, and as of last Sunday, we have received 97.6% of our budget, not just what was pledged, but of our budget, 97.6%. Folks, this is incredible, especially in today's economy. Um, once you have filled out the reservation card, if you've got one, please send it back to the center or raise your hand so that the usher can come and pick it up. Over the last several years, we here at Memorial have changed the manner in which we conduct our stewardship campaign. Um, at Arthur's last church, um, he was heavily involved in the stewardship campaign and came up with a uh, slogan to use for those people in that church and the slogan was I upped my pledge up yours <laughs> Arthur's not at that church anymore <laughs> and how we got him I don't know but rather than present you with a budget and talk about what you need to give for us to get to that budget. Um, we have em emphasized the need for each family or individual to give based on what they feel God is calling them to give. We want folks to, <laughs> we want folks to give as a part of their spiritual relationship with God, not because that we're in danger of having the lights turned off. Um, instead, the finance committee does not even formulate the budget until after uh, the stewardship campaign is completed uh, because what we want to do is tailor the budget to what we receive and next week you'll be given pledge cards and be asked to come here to the communion rail and make your pledge sometime during the service I'm not sure exactly when that will be but it'll probably be at the end of the service um, your gifts of faithfulness uh, make our job on the, fam on the uh, finance committee much, uh, much, much easier. I'll leave you with this one verse, for, or a couple of verses from Matthew, uh, and this is Jesus speaking, and he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart? We have a tradition here at Memorial of asking lay people to say a few words about their vision of personal stewardship, and Gary Griffin has graciously agreed to do that this morning. Gary? Good morning. I appreciate the opportunity to share with you my feelings about stewardship and what it means to me. I've benefited from the stewardship moments that I've heard so far this year in our church and have learned from them. And I certainly am grateful for the opportunity to share mine. I believe that my love for my family, for my friends, for activities that I'm involved in, and for my church and my God are measured not in what they give to me, but rather what I give to them. And for me, I measure them basically in five ways. How much attention do I give to them? How much do they captivate my mind? They ask my mind questions. How much time am I willing to devote to the thing that I love or the person that I love? Also, in relation to those, how much energy am I willing to expend in those pursuits? How much am I willing to support the thing or the person or the institution or the church that I love? And to sum it all up, how much am I willing to sacrifice of myself to make myself somewhat vulnerable in giving of myself to someone else, to something else, to my church. Some things are relatively easy. Our children that we have, of course there is such a thing as called parental instinct, but our children, we don't deny them their attention. We want to give them their attention. We want to give them our time. We give them our energy and we give them our support. And we're willing to sacrifice most anything for our children if we say, if we really mean that we love them. Those are the easy things. And love falls on a spectrum wide and long. But last week, <clears throat> I was very much moved by the stewardship moment that Allison Duncan gave. I was moved by it, and I learned from it. And I recall just a few moments ago when we were doing the baptism, those very words that we are members of a household of faith. She very eloquently and emotionally described what her church meant to her, what it has done for her and her family in difficult times. And that's the best kind of a relationship because her family, she and her family, give to the church and they receive from the church. 
serving and being served. Basically two in the same thing. And I think back and I look at myself and stewardship for me is a time where I literally have a self-examination. It's a time to examine my relationship because I view stewardship as a relationship. The fact that we use the term stewardship means there's a relationship. Someone owns something and someone is responsible for taking care of it. And to a God who gives me all, who has given everything to me, do I not owe him everything? Sometimes during these difficult times that we face, it's hard to make those sacrifices and decisions. But I ultimately believe that that's the way, for me, it shows. Matthew book, the book of Matthew in the 25th chapter very clearly talks about stewardship. When we read about the talents. But I want to think about stewardship for me as not a requirement, not a rule that I follow, not a percentage that I use. But I want stewardship to be a reflection of my love for my Lord and my church. Thank you. Thank you for those words and for your leadership of our administrative board. And also want to say a word of thanks to uh, Ralph Speedo Johnson for his leadership of the Finance Committee. You know, we've been having a new roof put on over here at the Family Life Center. And so there's been a heavy, heavy smell of tar in the air, which didn't concern me very much until uh, the other day someone sent a bag of feathers over with Ralph's name on it. So I uh, think that was from me probably, but anyway. Here now our epistle reading from Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to start reading from uh, uh, verse 19 on down to verse 25. It's on page 1873 if you want to read along. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we are thankful for this occasion to be together, <clears throat> to warm one another's hearts with a smile or a handshake or a pat on the back, to spur one another on, as the scripture says, in Christian living. We find that we need to gather together and that we are stronger individually after we have been together with your people in your presence. And we also are stronger together as we come with our combined voices and our combined hearts and our com combined abilities and money even. There are things that we can do together empowered by your spirit. And we are so thankful that you call us to work together for the cause of your kingdom. Lord, just as human parents can often do a task better by themselves, we still involve our children in activities around the house, chores, because they're things that they need to learn. And so we're grateful that even though you could do all that is necessary to care for this world, you have invited your children, us, to be involved in the task of caring for one another and for your planet. And for this we're grateful. We learn so much about you as we go to take care of one another and we learn about ourselves and we learn about the good plan that you have for our lives for all eternity as we share life together. And so we give you thanks. We pray that you would bless our efforts this fall in our consecration stewardship program and that you would call all of us to grow in our commitment to you as we move toward that goal of complete commitment to you. That is such an elusive goal. And none of us quite get there, but it is toward that end that we are striving that you might have more of us every day. For this we give you thanks, and in the name of Jesus we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
you will find if you look back through a stack of bulletins that I don't do that hymn very often because I find it to be very challenging and I also don't like to sing words that um, I don't quite live up to. And I hope you have that same sense that we come close maybe a time or two surrendering all we are and have to the Lord, but most of us still got a long way to go before we put it all on the altar. So maybe with me you'll sing that song as a goal to strive for, a desire to shoot for, knowing that, that none of us are in the red zone about to score a touchdown yet. We've got a long way to go. Here now from Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, these words. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Here ends the lesson. Hall of Famer Yogi Berra said, you can observe a lot by watching. Observing people is a fascinating hobby and I think if you go shopping some this Christmas you'll see me sitting with the other husbands like they sit out in front of Hamrick's you know you've seen that pathetic bunch of men <clears throat> you know just sitting there waiting for something to do but you get to watch a lot of interesting things from those as people walk by uh, but I won't look like one of those vegetable men out there just sitting there but Jesus, in this story, was engaged in the fine practice of people watching one day. He had been <clears throat> preaching to a large crowd in the temple courtyard, but now the sermon was over, and the crowd had dispersed, and Jesus was alone with his disciples. So he found a place to sit down, and it wasn't outside of Hamrick's. It was outside of the temple, a place where they would present offerings and he watched people as they came by to put their offerings in the temple plate. Now it's worth noting, I think, that generosity toward the poor was promoted in ancient Judaism. And that's one of the many gifts that faith passed on to the Christian faith, that in offerings we ought to be taking care of lots of things uh, of the poor around us. The community's poor people were supported by a graduated tax which was supplemented by donations received at the schools and synagogues. Now, I'm sure that some of those donations went to pay priestly salaries and for the maintenance and upkeep of the temple, but some of the money went to take care of the poor and to provide ministry to others, and we celebrate that even today. The offering plates there were shaped sort of like the opening part of a trumpet and uh, it is thought by scholars that people love to make a big sound by throwing in lots of coins and, and sounding the trumpet. And that may be what Jesus was talking about when he talked about giving in such a way that only your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. That, that, 
God alone would see what you give and you wouldn't get lots of public attention by uh, ringing the trumpet as they did. Uh, that seemed to, to bother Jesus. Um, but, but he wanted us to give out of a different motive, a motive of not getting a pat on the back for our generosity, but instead out of love for God. Now, I, I don't want to engage in any arm-twisting or heavy-handed tactics today, but it's difficult to avoid an, op, uh, an obvious implication of this story, which is that Jesus sat there and watched people when they made offerings. And the implication is Jesus watches us when we place things in the offering. As I say, I don't want to engage in arm-twisting, but just it's worth seeing that Jesus watches what we give to his church. He pays attention to whether we are stingy or generous, especially where his father's house is concerned and where the needs of his children are being addressed. Of course, we're not saved by what we give. We're saved only by God's grace. But saved people show their faith in a variety of ways one of which should be through our generous donations. A friend of mine who's a preacher got in, investigated and audited a few years ago by the Infernal Revenue Service. Uh, the auditor wanted to see his canceled checks because he had established a scholarship at Spartanburg Methodist College and had given a great sum of money and they needed some proof. Fortunately, my friend had the proof. And as the auditor examined the checks, she said, thank you for restoring my faith in Christian charity. I didn't believe that someone could give as much as you had given, but you must really believe in your God. I wonder if my banker and the IRS has any idea what Jesus means to me. Jesus watches us as we give, and I trust he is honored by our donation. As Jesus watched people, he noticed a number of well-to-do people making generous donations. There were people that had inherited great wealth or perhaps had great success in business, and Jesus noticed them all. And I'm sure that he noticed many were sincere and generous in their giving. Perhaps a few people gave in such a way to call attention to themselves, tooting their own horn, as we would say. But he didn't comment about any of that. What called his, caught his attention and that he called attention to his disciples about was someone you and I might not expect that he would notice. There was something important that Jesus wanted to teach them about giving as it would be practiced in his church. After a parade of very rich people had made their offerings, an obviously very poor widow made her donation. Her humble attire testified to her poverty. Perhaps the way she looked made Jesus wonder when the last time she had eaten had been. Her face showed a life of hardship, wear and tear. She was all alone. Where was her husband? Perhaps he had died. Of course he had. She was alone. And in those days, women were totally dependent on men. And if you didn't have a son to step up when the husband died, you had no one to watch out for you. 
Her donations spoke of her poverty. She gave two small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. And they sounded very different when they went into that metal container than the gold coins that had been put in earlier. Everybody standing nearby would have noticed the thud of the copper coins and the metal trumpet. Some rich folks might have even laughed and made fun of her. It really took a lot of courage for this poor widow lady to join the parade of rich folks who were making their loud offerings. Perhaps it was her courage that made her noteworthy to Jesus, whereas some rich folks uh, had made quite a show of their offering, this woman would have preferred if there had been some less noticeable way to make her donation. I've actually had people tell me that the reason they didn't come to church a particular week was they were embarrassed by the fact they didn't have anything to put in the plate when it came by them. Would you believe that in some churches today they don't ever pass an offering plate now? because they don't want anyone to be embarrassed in that way. They have a collection like this, the uh, temple had outside where people can put their offerings there. They don't want to embarrass people. So this poor widow was in some ways very courageous. She didn't have much financial wealth, but she was rich in faith and love. And she wanted to express her love for God and that's what Jesus noticed and called attention to that day. Perhaps Jesus also noticed the deep trust that this woman had to have in God. A wise trapeze artist doesn't let go of the rope unless he or she has confidence there's a strong net down there to catch them if they miss connections. This woman knew that there was a safety net under her, and that safety net was God. He would be there for her to help her with her daily needs for food and clothing and shelter. And her generous donation was a testimony to her trust and faith in God. She could turn loose of her belongings because she knew she belonged to God. Jesus also noticed that her gift was huge when measured in terms of proportionate giving. A millionaire might put in $1,000 a huge donation, and we would say thank you. But that's less than one-tenth, or that is one-tenth of a percent of his wealth. This poor widow gave 100% of her income. A millionaire might give out of his great wealth. She gave out of her poverty all she had to live on. In Jesus' eyes, this poor widow had put more into the temple treasury than anyone else because it was a greater proportion of her income. This was a very generous soul. One of the things that we at Memorial have been stressing in recent years and the Bible also teaches is proportionate giving. It isn't the value of the gift that we stress, it's the proportion of what we have that we are encouraged to give. If you only have a little to give, but it represents a fair portion of your income, then give that gift thankfully and proudly. God notices that and considers it a noteworthy gift. The Old Testament standard was a tithe, one-tenth. 
And I often hear people say that the tithe is no longer the, the standard under the new covenant, that we don't have to meet that standard anymore. And I just like to point out to those people that the New Testament standard was much higher. Those folks gave 100%. They left homes. They sold property. They gave up their vocations. They left family. They gave up everything for Jesus' sake. That makes the Old Testament standard of 10% look more appealing. God calls us to give a portion of ourselves, of our time, our energies, our abilities, and our, our wealth to the work of his kingdom as an expression of our faith in him and our love for God. I expect that this poor widow who gave nearly all the money she had to live on was also very generous with her time, serving her neighbors, working in her synagogue. Don't you imagine that that lady was down there doing what she could, cleaning floors, mopping perhaps, taking care of sick people? You will have an opportunity next Sunday to think about and to set your proportionate giving goal for next year. I hope you will remember this widow and her mighty might and be inspired by the courage that she had, the love that she expressed, and the trust in God that she possessed as you set your own proportionate giving goal. Well, Jesus learned that he could, could observe a lot and see a lot by just watching. He seems to be one who enjoyed the hobby of people watching. He watched people as they went about their daily lives and as they gave their offerings to God. And he also watches us today. But what caught his attention was not a huge gift of the very rich, but the small but sacrificial gift of a very poor person who gave all that she had to live on because she loved God. May we follow the widow's example in giving generously and sacrificially, expressing our love for God and our trust in him to take care of us in the year 2010. Amen.